Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Mensel. Joining me is Paul, the summer game, Dennett. Now, Paul, I ran into a listener in the park on the weekend, and he said to me he feels there's some tension between us. He listened to the last show, and he thought we were on the verge of a breakup. But <laughs> I don't feel any tension between us. No, no, I think we're pretty good. I think we're pretty good. Um, actually, listeners... I want to give you an idea of what Menace is like now that you mention that. Um, <laughs> on the weekend, those of you who don't live in Australia won't know this necessarily, but we had the two big sporting grand finals, the Rugby League and the Australian Rules Football, our two big football codes. And I thought even Menace, as much as he hates other sports other than cricket and baseball, might actually pay attention to them. And I got an ex- I got an SMS from him on Sunday morning. I thought, oh, is this going to be about the Aussie Rules or is it going to be about the Rugby League? NRL, AFL? No. It was about the IPL. He wanted to know if I'd watched the KXIP Sunrisers Hyderabad game during the previous night, to which I kind of said, no, like everyone else in Australia, I was watching the Aussie Rules Grand Final. But that's the level of, of love that Menes has for cricket, which is, which is fantastic. Even on um, Monday, when um, Jared Waitley in Melbourne has uh, Robert Craddock on each Monday, it's a really entertaining segment. They talk cricket. On this Monday, they didn't mention cricket once, such was the dominance of the two, the two big sporting codes. But the good thing is that now they're out of the way, uh, the cricket season is here, ready to go in full. Would it surprise you to know that I didn't watch one minute of either grand finals? Not at all. I would have been surprised if you if you had. I, at this point now, you should make a clumsy, accidentally on purpose statement saying, you know, I didn't even I didn't even see whether Hobart won or not, or something um, to that effect. That's what you normally do. 
I'm not even going to do anything like that. <laughs> All I can say is I had a weekend with wall-to-wall T20 <laughs> cricket. There was five games played on the IPL, if you count Friday night and then the weekend, plus the Women's Big Bash League crept in. It just meant I, I didn't even have to acknowledge the existence of, of any other sports. The only thing I did do was pay some cursory attention to the, the Baseball World Series that's going on between the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. All right, now in today's podcast, we are going to wrap up all the cricket headlines. Then we've got a full hour-long special on the BLM movement and COVID. No, just joking. (laughs) Just joking. We're not going to be doing that. Instead, we're going to be joined by Barrett Sunderason from CrickBuzz to talk about uh, the Shield in Adelaide and also his view of the IPL and the upcoming Indian tour. Then... I'm going to finish the show with Can't Let It Go, where I have some massive personal news that I can't wait to tell everybody. He's been very cryptic about it, so I'm interested as well. As we begin, though, just on COVID, uh, it is worth mentioning, congratulations to everyone in Melbourne and Victoria. It has been uh, a terrible few months where they've been in harsh lockdown. They've had a lot of deaths and a lot of cases, but they have now got on top of it. The world's longest lockdown, Paul. And so to, to everyone who listens to this podcast, sincerely, we, um, we, we wish you all the best and hope that you enjoy as, um, as the city comes out of lockdown. Uh, the world's longest lockdown, and I think um, probably in the Western world, the only place where they've actually had a second wave and crushed it effectively. All right, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. As we spoke about in the last show, the New South Wales government has greenlit the proposal to have the Indian cricket team quarantine in Sydney and play their white ball internationals in Sydney. Now, to give you an idea of the way bureaucracy works, the New South Wales government took only 72 hours to give the go-ahead to this proposal. Five weeks later, the Queensland government had not given any response to Cricket Australia. So uh, my big problem with the Queensland government is them not saying when they were given the proposal... Uh, we are not comfortable with this right away. Uh, but it looks like the, the Indian cricket team will be based in Sydney and playing, they're, they're saying, five internationals at the SCG and one T20 at Manica Oval. So great result. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I find it strange that Cricket Australia's relationship with the Queensland government isn't better than that, that you would have thought that one of the big three sports in this country um, would have had a, a very strong relationship with the Queensland government, particularly that the Queensland government um, did everything they could to accommodate the AFL throughout the whole winter. They basically held virtually the majority of the tournament in Queensland. So that's really disappointing that uh, Cricket Australia seems to have... Um well, I think it's more about the election. That's why the way I read it, Paul, is that uh, with the election coming up in Queensland, they were sort of in a no-win situation to say, yes... Could op- they could be open to criticism. They say no, they could be open to criticism as well. So I can see they were maybe trying to put off the decision till after the state election, which, I mean, that's just the way politics works. Yeah, well, in any case, um, oh, I'm really excited that um, we, we're going to get several games of white ball cricket in, in Sydney. Uh, the, the, the SCG is limited to uh, a roughly half capacity at the moment, so they should go close to selling out those games. It should be a really nice atmosphere, plenty of Indians in. Um, and uh, I just can't wait. I guess the big news is that Rohit Sharma and Ishant Sharma are both under injury clouds and were not named in the squads. Anything else that stood out to you? 
Oh, I just um, found that the, the test squad um, interesting. I might, I might read it out just for, for, for listeners. I mean, the test match is the stuff that most of us are probably uh, keenest on. So Coley, um, Agarwal, Prithvi Shaw, Kale Rahul, um, Pajara, Rahane, Vahari, Shubman Gill, Ritterman Saha, Pant, Bumrah, Shami, Yadav, so that's Umesh Yadav, Navdeep Saini, Kuldeep Yadav, Jadeja, Ashwin, and Siraj. Now, if you're a regular cricket follower from Australia, I would, I would ma- imagine that there's probably three names there that you're not so familiar with. Navdeep Saini and Mohammed Siraj. They're a pair of fast bowlers. Um, Saini's about to turn 28. He's taken 125 first-class wickets at 28. And Siraj is 26, and he's taken 53, 63 wickets at 23. Pretty good figures because I think being a fast bowler in India is obviously fairly thankless. But Shuvman Gill, who cracked a half century in the IPL overnight, if you look at the best averages in the history of cricket, uh, of all first-class cricket, he's second to Don Bradman at the moment. Gill? Yeah. I didn't know that. And it's not as though um, he's only played, you know, one of these guys that's played five games and, and he's got in there that way. It's a bit concerning to me that... Every time India seem to unearth a new player, they, they're on the verge of being a superstar right from the start. I think it's a sign of what the future is going to hold. As India gets stronger and stronger, it's going to be harder and harder for Australia to, to compete with them. So, Ooh, big statement there. I think it's true. I mean, you've just got to look at what happened in tennis. Uh, in the 60s and 70s... I was thinking tennis straight away. Well, you should. In the 60s and 70s, Australia were winning Wimbledon and Grand Slams, and... We just thought it would go on forever and ever. And then when the West, the rest of the world kind of um, started playing tennis and it got a lot harder, the number of Grand Slam tournaments that we've won since then have been few and far between. I think there is a parallel with India as its massive population gets uh, more and more affluent and more and more people get the opportunity to play cricket. It's going to be harder and harder for us to compete. So we've got to enjoy the success now while we have it. So, Gil. It could be the Richmond Tigers of the cricket oh, world. Oh, cut it out, mate. Now you're trying to show your credibility. <laughs> <laughs> so... 21 first-class matches, seven centuries, highest score 268, average 73.37. Now, I'm not saying that he is going to be the next Sachin Tendulkar, but you look at those numbers and you say you couldn't rule that out either. That's, um, that's very impressive. Yeah, the, the one that stands out for me is Prithvi Shaw. He came out on the tour mm. a couple of years ago and got injured and then couldn't play, but... He's looked impressive in a couple of IPL innings, and that's T20 cricket, so it's probably you know, not going to indicate how well he'll do in test cricket. But I think he's got a lovely technique, beautiful timer of the ball, and, and another one I'm excited to watch Bat. I remember two years ago how excited and nervous I was about him. I, was, I think I was the saying exactly the same things about him that I'm saying now um, about um, Shubman Gill because um, – he, he'd cracked a 70 on test debut, I think, against the West Indies off about 60-something balls. And then he came out here and um, did his ankle right at the start of the tour and never figured. So it'll be exciting to watch him as well. All right. Now, the Women's Big Bash League has started, and it has been a moist start to the competition with eight games scheduled to be played, but five, basically no results. A couple of those were abandoned after they began. So Sydney's weather has come back to haunt the cricket. Paul, you've got some stats on this. Well, I I find it very sad each year how in summer, whenever there's a day rained off in Sydney, the rest of the country piles on us. Before Paul continues, to the listeners out there, I can tell you, Paul is almost as passionate about weather statistics as he is about cricket stats. <laughs> now continue. And the fact is that 
Sydney's weather isn't as bad as everyone says. Rick Finlay, who I love, the statistician from the ABC, has this stat that every time a day is rained off in Sydney, he pulls it out, number of days of test cricket rained off across Australia's venues. And to be fair, it is pretty damning of Sydney. I haven't looked it up again because it makes me sad, but it's like Sydney's got more than the rest of them put together and then some. But here's the thing. We're not like Perth. Perth, it doesn't rain in summer, but their rain comes all in the winter. I once watched a rugby league game a few years ago when I was doing some work in rugby league that was relocated to Perth in the middle of winter, and I got the shock of my life. It was bucketing down. I thought it never rained in Perth. So I've looked up the um, the averages. In July, Sydney gets 77 mils of rain. Perth gets 146 mils of rain. And yes, yearly rain totals. Melbourne looks miles better than Sydney. Melbourne only gets 650 mils. Sydney gets 1,212 mils. But in terms of number of rainy days, Sydney 162, Melbourne 159, virtually the same. And in sunshine per year, Sydney gets almost an hour a day extra. The thing is, when it rains in Sydney, it rains hard and wholesomely and as nature intended it. And then the sun comes out and it sparkles over the harbour of one of the, the great cities of the world. When it rains in Melbourne, it sort of drizzles for five days. So um, I'm defending the Sydney weather preemptively because it's not good. We've got an El Nina. We could have every every bloody game washed out this year, and it's going to be. I'm, I'm I'm dreading it. I'm dreading it. So I'm just in preemptively defending the Sydney weather. Please. <laughs> <laughs> El Nina is happening right now, and I remember last time it happened, it was a really rainy few months in Sydney. So one of the good things, though, about the the Women's Big Bash League, is that they will play through a dodgy weather. They'll stay out there a bit longer than most comps. If the ground's a bit moist, they still get out there. So hopefully we'll see most of the games played. But as I said, five out of eight so far have been wiped out. On the first day of the competition at Hurstville Oval, the Hurricanes batted first against the Adelaide Strikers, and they were... Two for one after two legal deliveries. The first game was an extra, and then uh, Megan Shute took two wickets off the first two balls. Uh, the Hurricanes were all out for 84. The Strikers won easy, making the runs only two down with plenty of overs to spare. The other game at North Sydney Oval, the defending champs, the Brisbane Heat, took on the Perth Scorchers. Uh, the Scorchers made seven for 132, batting first. Beth Mooney... Uh, the old Brisbane Heat player that moved this year made 37 of 33. And then in reply, the Heat did it pretty easy. Three for 134 in 17 overs. Grace Harris making a sparkling 53 not out of 37 deliveries. Now, Grace Harris has been on this podcast before. She's a, a really fun character. She loves the game. She's happy to have a laugh, but she said she's taken a leaf out of Emma Stoney's book this summer that she's trying to give herself a little bit of time to get in, get in into her innings before she starts to open up, and and, and she just played superbly, superbly. That game looked like it might be tight, but once she got going and started hitting boundaries at North Sydney Oval, uh, she was unstoppable, and then on Monday, four games were scheduled to be played. Three were not completed. In the other game, the Sixers beat the Strikers, in a really short affair, it was a nine-over affair, and then the Sixers' innings got even shortened. So I think they only had seven overs in the end, um, but they won Sixers off the mark, and uh, the tournament's begun. And hopefully that the the, um, the Sydney weather can let up and we can get a, a decent tournament in. Um, hopefully in years to come as well. You want a hotel at the SCG, I want a roof on the SCG. Mm-hmm. And I know it would cost about a trillion dollars, but I think it would be well spent. Yeah, one thing that stood out to me from the first round was... I was a bit worried that the Brisbane Heat, after losing a couple, 
um, of <clears throat> big players for this summer might um, fall off the pace a bit, but they look every bit as good as they did in the last two summers where they won back-to-back titles. So they're going to be ones to watch. Now, I do want to talk about the Women's Big Bash League's um, response to the Black Lives Matter movement. It, it's a complicated response. Uh, it's not that simple. So before the tournament began, players from every team got together and they did a traditional um, circle ceremony Um I guess that it was it was an indi- indigenous barefoot circle ceremony, and and that then it was left up to each team if they wanted to take a knee before uh, their games in the women's big bash league. And we've seen on the opening day of the tournament the Adelaide Strikers, the Hobart Hurricanes, and then on the second day the Sydney Thunder all took a knee uh, before uh, they played their games. There was no uniform decision. It's been left up to each team. And the the Thunder captain, Rachel Haynes, has now said that the Sydney Thunder are going to take their knee before every game. And leading up to the tournament, actually, the English skipper, Heather Knight, has urged the WBBL players to take a knee before every game. What what sort of grates me about this, Paul? And, And it's following on from the Australian cricket team's performance in England where they didn't take a knees. There just doesn't seem to be any response by Cricket Australia to this movement. And it almost seems like they're scared to mandate anything or scared to be public in their support of this movement because it just seems like a no-brainer to me. Wouldn't every team take a knee before the the tournament began? I, I think you're right. I think that's what they are. I think they want to offend no one and, and as a result you get a, a wishy-washy response. You look at the Australian Rugby Union team who have decided uh, not to take a knee and they're saying because we don't want to make a political statement, to which everyone replied, by not taking a knee, you are making a political statement. And that's the reality. And I, I, I think that Cricket Australia should have said every team is going to take a knee. We're going to be in solidarity with the movement and with um, many, many sporting teams and leagues from overseas. I think it's wrong to leave it up to individual teams and, and to, to athletes. And I think it's to their credit that so far all uh, the, the, uh, so many of the teams have taken a knee. I mean, hard to argue with what you said there. It just seems like it would have been so easy for Cricket Australia to say Sheffield Shield before the first round, all the players take a knee. Before the Australian team played in England, let's take a knee before that first game. Before the WBBL, before the first games, every team take a knee. Issues solve them. We don't... Have, not the BLM issue, but the issue of the way Cricket Australia reacts to it is solved. They've shown solidarity, and, and it would just be instead. I feel like this is very, very disappointing, and I think it makes Australia, you know, it makes Australia look bad. Not just Cricket Australia; it makes the country look bad because the stereotype is that we have racist tendencies, and this just plays into it. Yeah, and I think that if Cricket Australia were afraid of a backlash, they have vastly overestimated the backlash. What backlash? Exactly. People supporting racism? I mean, if those people come out, if uh, people come out saying oh, they don't want to do it, they don't want to see us do it, they're, they're going to look like the idiots. And the people on Twitter who say, you know, this is about sport, I don't want to have to deal with um, political issues, they're, they're a, a noisy, tiny minority. And the answer to that is always people say, well, how did you feel about the... Um, the boycott of South Africa during apartheid. You agree with that, surely. Those chattering voices are much, much fewer than people think. And 
Cricket Australia shouldn't care about that. The, the issue is that you either do the right thing or the wrong thing. And I, I think the right thing would be for uh, everyone involved to have taken a knee. And as I said, it's good that the um, so far the WBBL has been doing that team by team. All right, moving on from the WBBL to the IPL. Well, well, well. We are coming to the end of the group stages, Paul, with just a few rounds left. And it, the table has tightened up significantly in the last few days. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday Australian time, so after Monday night's game where the Kings eleven Punjab beat the Kolkata Knight Riders in a crucial game that has taken the Kings eleven up into fourth place. And it's almost the reverse of last summer for the Kings eleven. They came out of the blocks in terrific form last IPL and then couldn't win a game in the second half of the comp. It's the other way this way. They lost six of their first seven games and have now won five in a row to take four spots. So at the moment, Mumbai are on top, Delhi second, RCB third, Kings 11 fourth, KKR fifth. But they're all within two points of each other. So a couple of days ago, I was worried that the tournament was going to sort of fizzle out the group stages. But now, actually, it's it's going to be really exciting. One issue that's really leapt out to me is it's been a very poor IPL for the Australians. None of them have really excelled. And I've got all the stats here, and these were updated after the weekend. But Shane Watson has been dropped by the Chennai Super Kings after 10 matches. He made 285 runs. At a tick over 30, uh, pretty good strike rate of 125. Uh, but he found himself in a situation where if you're an overseas player, you, you don't just need to do well, but you need to do very well. And add to that, MS Dhoni and Faf Duplessis are in the side who are older, old like him. He was kind of squeezed out because he was an overseas player and he was old. Yeah, and I think that if he'd been playing for another franchise, it might be different that um, those sort of numbers, if they're playing for a franchise that's going really well, could be seen as, oh, he's doing really solidly at the top of the order, providing a platform. But when you're losing games and you are a side that's used to being near the top of the table, it's easy to look at someone who's 39 and you know that strike rate of 125 is, is lower than they probably think. And so they're, they're probably also having an eye to the future there as well, I think. Josh Hazelwood, who is also at the Chennai Super Kings, he's played three matches and his runs per over is just 6.4, which is very good, but again, not getting much game time. Glenn Maxwell, very, very disappointing IPL for him. 102 runs in 10 innings so far, just not good enough. Well, you could also say, as I, I'm obliged to defend Glenn Maxwell, that obviously he's an off-spinner um, and he has the third best economy rate for the Kings 11 Punjab. So he's um, bowled 21 overs at an economy rate of 8.04. And, you know, given he's an off spinner and he's also chipped in for some runs, that's very impressive. Well, I don't think so. I think he'd tell you that 102 runs is well below what he should be doing. But you may... I was was being humorous there, (laughs) Menace. I know. Um, (laughs) No, I was being humorous and also serious. I was having my cake and eating it too. um yeah, he's had a very poor tournament with the bat. But those those figures with the bowling, yeah. uh, that, that, that's good. He's definitely, his bowling is very good. Um, Steve Smith has underperformed 12 innings, 276 runs at an average of just 25. His strike rate's a tick under 130. He's made three half centuries. But my thing about Steve Smith is he just hasn't looked good. He just has not looked in good touch pretty much throughout the whole tournament. 
Aaron Finch, a pretty poor tournament for Royal Challengers Bangalore. 11 innings, just 236 runs at 25. One score above 50. His strike rate's only 111.84. That's really poor. I suppose another worry is that with all these major tournaments coming up in in India in the next few years for Australia, that um, some of our best players not performing to their very best over there in the IPL at the moment. It doesn't bode well, but um, we'll see. I'd, I'd love to... Maybe we will get the opportunity to interview some of these players and just ask them if if they've been affected by the you know the length of the bubbles going from the English bubble to this bubble or whether it's the conditioned. I'd love to know because normally the Australians do pretty well over there and none of them none of them performing. I mean, our best performed is probably David Warner, eleven innings, three hundred and seventy runs, an average of thirty seven. His strike rate's 127.58. He's just only made two half centuries. But if you ask Warner, he'd probably say he's disappointed. He hasn't gone on with more of his starts. Now, the, the final system for the IPL is, um, I think, a little bit different to the had last time. But the way they're doing the IPL this year is uh, you have the, the top four teams go to the finals. One and two play off for a, a position in the grand final. Doing an Aussie term there, so you understand. Uh, and then three and four play an eliminator. The winner of the, that game goes and plays the loser of the one and two, and then they will meet the winner of the one and two game in the grand final. And, and I actually think that it's the model that the Big Bash should use this summer. Last year, the Big Bash had a five team finals, and it was criticized by quite a few people, especially. Um, the Australian assistant coach, Andrew McDonald, said on this very podcast he wasn't a fan of five of eight teams making the finals. I actually like this system for the Big Bash. Top four make the finals. You have one and two getting a double chance. Three and four just get the one chance. I think that's what the Big Bash should do this summer. I think that the, uh, the, the BBL probably has got it right in that, look, if it's a pure tournament, it would just be first past the post. Um, if that's all, If you just wanted to have the the absolute purity, um, respect the entire length of it, like the English Premier League. We don't do it that way in Australia, and I, I, I agree with that. So they've gone to sort of the greediest that they can, and I think that's probably the right way. I don't particularly like it, but I think in terms of trying to c- generate interest in the tournament, it's probably the best so way So you'd to have go. five teams in the Big Bash finals this summer? I'd have eight. You'd have eight in the finals? <laughs> you'd have the entire tournament there. Then just have a knockout. Marsh Marsh Cup from two years ago. Just play, you know, 14 games each and then everyone goes into the finals. Yeah, and you have a knockout. One versus eight, two versus seven. That's the way. Um, uh, But no, I I, I think seriously, I can see why they've got five. And I I think it's, for for all that you lose a little bit of credibility and sometimes, sometimes at the top of the table, the matches don't have quite as much meaning. I think that you do get that extra final that you get to play and you get to have more teams interested for longer. So I think on balance, I just favour the five, given that the tournament is all about entertainment. I mean, there's no doubt that a fifth does keep teams interested down the down the ladder, but I like the system that they've gone for for the IPL, and I hope the Big Bash does the same. That's always, I think that's the system they've always had in the IPL. I'm pretty sure last year and maybe the year before they've had the fifth team. There's a fourth and fifth eliminator, and that plays the third team. I think that's what happened in the IPL, but fact check that one. If you're listening out there, you can... Send us a message at OzCricketPod on Twitter and Instagram if I've got that wrong. All right, um, some more Big Bash news. Um, it's looking like the CA and the Players Association are going to front up some cash to pay for 
marquee players to play in the Big Bash. It's quite complicated. If the player is an overseas player, then CA will front up with it. If it's a, a local player, I think the association is going to play for it. But basically, a star player could come to the Big Bash and earn a couple of hundred grand for an appearance in the tournament, which would be great. And they're now looking at the West Indies team as possibly providing some star power because they are planning to tour New Zealand in late November and therefore with the border open coming from New Zealand to Australia, they could pick some players from that West Indies side like Dwayne Bravo, Jason Holder, Nicholas Poran and get them into the Big Bash. And that's coming courtesy of Ben Horn at the Daily Telegraph. That's excellent. I think everyone involved in that should be commended. I think that's exactly what they should be doing. Now on to the Sheffield Shield. The latter after two very uneven rounds because some teams haven't played. Victoria, uh, they've trained a lot. New South Wales have played one game, Queensland one game, but Western Australia are on top, Queensland on second. But uh, hard to read much into the actual ladder. I know They're, I always go on about it, but just looking at it here, they've got to get rid of the decimal points. They've got to get rid of the – oh, I love numbers. I was hoping we might get through this segment without but you've you bringing got, it up. I mean, no one – cares about the bonus points. No one's watching the game thinking, oh, they've got to score some extra runs here because the bonus point's about to click out. The table as it stands, Western Australia 9.81, Queensland 8.13, Tasmania 3.75, South Australia 2.84, New South Wales 2.16. I would say Victoria 0, but that's not right. Victoria is 0.00. It's just a rod to smash the tournament on the back with. Anyone looking at that would just laugh and say, this tournament that is sort of almost a byword for people not paying attention to, has something that just makes people giggle. Get rid of it. No one's following the bonus points. Get rid of them. Would you bring first innings points back? Yeah, I think I probably would, but I, I, um, I'd be happy. Yeah, I think I would. I would, yes. But i just get rid of the decimals. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, so there were two draws in the last round, SA and Tasmania and New South Wales v WA, but big performances for the test team. Tim Payne made 111 not out for Tasmania, and Travis Head made 171 not out for South Australia. Two important innings. Yeah, because Head got run out in the first innings, and it just looked like he was lazy. Like, he was called through for a relatively quick single that he should have made, and um, he didn't make it, got run out for a low score. Uh, He would have been starting to be under a little bit of pressure, but then... 171 not out, and just across the way, um, what, 500 metres, a kilometre down the road, Cameron Green uh, made 197 and by all accounts thought he got an inside edge onto that to, uh, and was unlucky to be given out LBW. So suddenly um, things are really heating up and uh, I suppose the question is they are very keen on getting Cameron Green into the side. He hasn't been bowling, but he's about to start bowling again sort of in the next couple of games, albeit off a limited number of overs, but he said he's going he's gonna to bowl fast, um, or as, he's, as fast as he can. Uh, does this put Matthew Wade under some pressure to get in the side, do you think, Menas? No, I don't think so. I think he's been guaranteed a spot this summer, but I think Green's time will come. He made 197 of 438 balls. I mean, he's an out-and-out batter. He's not a, a bits and pieces all-rounder. He's not someone that likes to come in and club a few down the order. He's a bona fide batter. His fourth shield ton in a year, the only player to do that, Uh it's just incredible. And I know we skipped past Tim Payne, but I actually thought that 100 of his was quite important. Uh, going into the summer, you want him scoring runs. There was a few whispers from Alan Border that there might be pressure if he doesn't perform. I just thought it's a nice way to start the summer with Payne making his third first-class century 
um, just just to just to you know just to give everyone a bit of confidence. Oh, absolutely! Um, it was wonderful to see. Um, now. I've got to take issue with you saying that Wade has been guaranteed a spot. Now, they they may be very keen to pick him, but there's no guarantees. If, for argument's sake, when he starts to play this summer, he doesn't get many runs, and if um, Green and Head start continuing to score, um, there'll come a point where they'll have no choice but to drop him. I oh, know, but I, I think they'll give Wade the first couple of tests. All the indications from Justin Langer are that he's very happy with the middle order, and I guess with the COVID situation and the bubbles, They've had to give some different guarantees to players. So Matthew Wade, he's got a young family. He went from England back to Tasmania now to see his family. He's missed the first two Shield games because he's probably been told, look, you're going to come in to the bubbles for the Aussie Test team and the White Ball squad. You could not see your family for months on end. So I think you can't say to a player, look, spend some time with your family and then drop them. You just have to pick the best 11 for the country. Um, and if he's not in it, he's not in it. And um, it, it can be very harsh. I mean, Brad Haddon was, um, you know, had to pull out of a game for family health reasons um, in the 2015 Ashes Tour and never played again, um, which was extremely harsh. But at the end, they made the harsh call. He was on the way out anyway. Yeah, look, I, I see your point. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Wade will start the summer. And just staying on the shield, Mitchell Stark will play for New South Wales or he's available to play for New South Wales the end of this week when the next round kicks off. All right, that is the Cricket Headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. I just want to let you know of a couple of bits of news. The first one is go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Paul and I are going to try to be more active in Instagram. I actually was going through the messages and saw there were some lovely people that wrote in that we never even replied to. Uh, we apologise. We just both maybe aren't great at Instagram, but we'll try. We're probably both about 20 years too old to be experts at Instagram, but we'll try and upskill. <laughs> Paul's just laughing. And then the other <laughs> bit of news is I just wanted to let you know, I've actually got another podcast starting next week that I think you might like. And it's called Fairground F-Ups, and it's spelt Fairground F asterisk C-K, up, so Fairground F-Ups, and it's a true crime podcast. It's the first one I've ever produced, and actually the first story has been written by my co-host Paul Dennett. So please go on to whatever podcast app you listen to podcasts on and search Fairground, and you'll find Fairground F-Ups, and first episode is out Monday, 2nd of November, written by Paul Dennett. All right, coming up after the break, we have Barrett Sunder Racing. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Menes. I'm with Paul, and now we have a special guest He is the Australian reporter for CrickBuzz. He was formerly a cricket reporter for the Indian Express. He's also the author of The Dhoni Touch, our most wanted guest to get on the show. His name's Barrett Sunderason. He now lives in Adelaide. Barrett, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me on, man. It's a long time coming, this. Uh, So I'm really, really excited. It's so good to have you on. You know, we jump on these Zooms where we interview players, um, you know, in press conferences, and you always come in with these weird and wacky questions. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, to get you finally on the show and, and pull some insights out of you, I'm sure is going to be enjoyable for the listeners. 
oh, weird and wacky are words that have uh, followed me around all my life. So yeah, I, I, I've gotten so used to it. Uh, so yeah, what else do you expect from someone who's weird and wacky manners? Weird and well, wacky questions. I well, guess. let's get yeah exactly. Let's get into the Sheffield Shield because you, you have been commentating on the two South Australian games at Karen Rolton Oval. Uh, what's the vibe like in the Shield bubble? What's, what have you picked up? Uh, you know what? Before we get into the guys who've been scoring runs and who've been taking wickets and taking catches. So what I asked uh, you, I asked you about the vibe. Are you gonna... yeah, no, no, exactly. No, I just want I, I <laughs> to start by saying that I've been watching a lot of, like I've been, been in a very throwback mode of late manners. I've been watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory last night and sat, I sat and watched a Dr. Doolittle from 1967. And the Sheffield Shield hub, the vibe, is feels like such a throwback to maybe the 50s and the 40s when like you know there's a little marquee set up in every edge of the ground some are for the press and then the all four teams come into the same marquee for their catering there's coffee there the people come pulling up in their east chairs on the grass banks it's all so like you know and we saw Jason Sanga bowl leg spin with a cap in Adelaide that's it, it, we are in the 40s so we are in the 50s i think <laughs> so but what's the vibe like you know around the teams and and the actual like standard of play on the field um like the the, the interesting thing about the games at Park 25, which is what next door to the Karen Rolton is you you get so many distractions because there's it's right next to the uh, train tracks. So you have the trains going and then you have the helicopter flying in for the Royal Adelaide, Royal Adelaide Hospital next door. You have a busy freeway. It's a it's a dicey side screen. Mamanis Labashain spoke about not being uh, able to side the ball too well despite scoring a big 100. Can, uh, I just, it, uh, it, can I just paint a picture for the listeners? I don't know if you've seen this side screen uh, that Barrett's talking about, but it has holes in it. It's like a, a, a cloth sight screen and it's full of holes. It, 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 I think it's beautiful. and But the one that you're talking about is at the Karen Dalton Hall with the holes. Uh, it, it almost like looks like cricket being played in the military barracks or something. You can look through the little hole if you are at the right end. Uh, and the one at Park 25, in fact, is just two random sight screen placed close to each other so there is a little gap in between and through that little gap you can see people walking you can see like the busy port road main road so it's all very interesting and you spoke about just uh how the vibe has been between the players this a sense of bonhomie I, I saw uh sean abbott and uh one of the western australian tailenders get into a little uh, i think it was matt kelly so they bumped into each other and i thought wow some friction finally Next ball, Matt Kelly gets out and, you know, Sean Abbott gives him a pat on the bum and it, they're all friends again. So, it's been very friendly. It's been like like a village cricket atmosphere, but the level of cricket has been very, very good. There's no sledging or anything out there? Because I think one of the things that Australians sort of pride themselves on, which I've always found bizarre, is this <laughs> notion that we can spend six hours out there calling each other anything and trying to <laughs> knock each other's heads off. And as soon as we walk over the line... We're great mates, and we have a beer together, and then the next morning we do it all again. And I think some countries, when they encounter that, find it weird. Has there still been that difference of um, between on the field and off the field? I, I very much so. The only time I saw not tensions flare up, but the energy just increase is when Tim Payne came out to bat against Queensland because you could see Manus and Usman Kawaja 
especially really get stuck in uh they like you know there were these loud jokes and they were very very vocal like from the moment he walked in like manas kept calling for the bowlers to bowl him a roller whatever that means <laughs> so that's the only time i i really saw some uh, sort of some tension in the air but otherwise it's been uh, yeah i know what you're talking about a lot of uh, indians in particular have come here uh, to play cricket and uh, not quite understood what the sledging is and i do a lot of local umpiring here and i see that happen a lot <laughs> you know especially when you have a couple of south asians in the opposition uh, and they look a little befuddled about oh why is he calling me a so and so now <laughs> what did i do <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so far in the sheffield shield now nah, it's been pretty um, pretty uh, smooth going but the victorians are here so who knows <laughs> what about um manas labashain bowling medium pace um is there a future for him there do you think <laughs> yeah it, at least in that uh, from uh, someone sent me like a like a clip of him bowling it looked like danny morrison just in his delivery stride but i'm sure danny morrison will take umbrage to the fact that i'm comparing the two <laughs> but i mean who knows with manas right like the year he's had i mean like you know the fact that he was he just scored his first shield 100 in two years or so but what all he's achieved in the the one year since and it's almost weird that there is an IPL going on like like the most talked about tournament going on and he's not there and that's how much i think his career has come along where you don't you don't imagine big ticket cricket happening without him mm. so yeah who mm. knows he might be taking the new ball soon we asked him about that on the last podcast barrett so you have to go back and listen to it uh okay so from the performances you've seen in the shield who stands out we went through pains 100 heads 100 greens massive 100 but you know up close what's who and what's impressed you bowlers batters give it to me barrett okay uh this was my first sighting of Cam Green, and I know everybody's been talking and raving about him for a long time. Uh, and like you know, yes, the runs we will talk about, but what really stood out to me was just the presence he seems to have at the crease. Just uh, from a technical sense, he's so balanced. Whether he's pacing pace or spin, whether he's batting on the like you know, if he's playing st- strokes of the front foot or the back foot, there's just a presence you like you know you can see when he's he just from the moment he walks out. So he has really stood out from a batting sense. I mean, with head and pain, uh, yeah, I mean, they are test players. You expect them to score hundreds. Uh, I mean, with Tim Payne, now that the monkey's off his shoulder, it didn't seem like a big deal uh, when he scored a hundred this time around. But uh, you expect them to do so, even with Manus. Like, he was dropped thrice before he got to 30. I'm sure he spoke about it. Uh, but... Cam Green's batting has really stood out. Sean Abbott's spell, you know, when, when thousand or thousand or more runs are scored for the loss of what fifteen wickets, and a guy just runs in over after over, ball after ball, and just takes six wickets for what eighty odd. It was quite an extraordinary performance, and so was uh, Chad Sayers. Uh, we spoke. Uh, I spoke about the throwback vibe. At one point, Manazi had figures of what twenty one overs, three for sixteen, which yeah. is yeah, which is back like. Uh, throwback to the Sydney Barnes era, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, and but that's Chaddy Sayers for you. He does it uh, over and over again. And as you can see, I, I have, I, I've started sounding like someone who lives in Adelaide. I've started calling him Chaddy Sayers and <laughs> talking him up in podcasts. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you, you fit in well with me. So, someone from Adelaide who's talk, talking about cricketers from pre World War One, Sydney Barnes. It's always um, a tick for me. Any anytime Sid Barnes gets mentioned on this show. The English Sid Barnes rather than the Australian Sid Barnes. That's um, yeah. fantastic. 
Um, hey, um, for the first test, what do you think Australia's top six is shaping at at this stage? Uh, okay, with Joe Burns at the top of the order, I think he's been lucky that you haven't had too many openers uh, score big runs. I mean, at least openers on the fringes. So, But just the way he bats, and this is, of course, my personal opinion, just the way he bats, the way he moves his feet, he will struggle against Shami in particular. Because he's going to move the ball around. And if I was this Australian selector, I would not be banking on Joe Burns. But the fact that, I mean, we still have two more rounds to go. Mm. So, he stays in at the top of the order. Pure who, who would you have instead of him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nobody else has really, like, knocked the door down. I mean, Jake Weatherall, well, <laughs> okay. I don't want to sound too parochial here. But, no, I mean, <laughs> it's too early for him. Jamie Siddons? Uh, <laughs> yeah, why not? Like, <laughs> but, but I guess the contenders are Marcus Harris. Uh, if yeah. he does well for Victoria, even Nick Maddinson, they want to True. stick him at the top of the order. He's had a phenomenal couple of years. But continue. So you've got uh, obviously Burns and Warner, Manus yeah. at three, Smith at four, then five and six. I guess they're the ones with the big debate. I guess the fact that Travis Head, I thought Travis Head was in a little trouble after the first round because you had even the likes of Ashton Agar come and score uh, 100. But because with Ashton Agar, you have an all-round option. Yeah, I mean, you might it might be premature to talk about him as a top six batsman. But if he keeps scoring runs, who knows? So, I thought the 100 he scored, Travis said, just the pitch was not easy. It was slightly up and down. So, the and on the fourth day to save a game for his team was a crucial 100. Uh, and considering he, he made a test 100 in his penultimate test, so he stays in there. But this is my pick. I would, I know Matthew Wade did score 200s during the Ashes last year. He had an okay summer last year, I guess. Uh, I mean, what stands out is his battle with, like, ridiculous battle with Neil Wagner, really. Yeah. Uh, so I would take a punt on Cam Green and stick him in there. I know he's not bowling yet. Uh, but if you just stick him in there, just the way he's batting, just the way, uh, he looks at the crease. And who knows, maybe in, in a year or so, in a few months, if he starts bowling again, you have someone with test experience who now is an all-rounder. So it, it would be a gamble. I know Australian selectors are not like uh, not like us from the subcontinent who just see, spot someone on the side of the street when he's 16 and just throw him into international cricket. But I think there is something about Cam Green. And look, Matthew Wade, yeah, I mean, he scored all those runs. He might come here and like now he's going to captain Tasmania. He might score a couple of hundreds. Uh, who knows? But... I think they needed someone to fill that gap, someone with experience. Matthew Wade has done that. But now I think, he, he, I mean, you talk of he's not that old. He's just still 32 and it would be unfair on him. But if you're looking at the future, Cam Green for me comes in for Matthew Wade. I think Cam Green has to be bowling more to really push for that spot. So I think it's going to be a summer too soon for him. You think his average of 51 is not good enough with the bat and you want him to be averaging 70? Well, I just don't, don't think you can say, oh, let's pick this guy because he's a great all-rounder, but he's not bowling. But but you don't have to pick him as an all-rounder. You can pick him as a specialist batsman considering he's scoring. Uh, well, so Wade's many. a far better batter, far better. Um, <laughs> all right. I mean, that, that, the, the, the numbers don't bear that out. Well, the numbers don't often bear things out, but I believe Wade is a far better batter at the moment than Cam Green. When Menas watches the 100 metres, he always thinks that Usain Bolt's overrated. He doesn't care about the times. He just, you know, who cares about the times or the facts and the figures? <laughs> Cricket's all about debates. So Matty like, Wade uh, has, what, four <laughs> test centuries already? Cam Green's got none. He's rubbish. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> all right. So that's the team. Obviously, Payne and then the bowlers. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Thank you for those insights. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the Indian Premier League. I know it's it's an inconvenient time for you over here, so you probably haven't been watching as much. But, you know, I'm sure you've got friends in India. Do, do you know how it's been received this year? Obviously being played in Dubai, um, but under this horrible COVID um, situation, you know, is it being lapped up by the Indian fans? Or by, like, you know, lapped up would be an understatement, Manners, because it has come as a... Uh, as a blessing. I mean, I know everybody's waiting for the vaccine for the virus, but this for now is a temporary vaccine for most Indians uh, around the country. Because as you know, unlike here, the, the I mean, we're talking about second and third waves around the world, but India is still like uh, under in, in strife with the first wave. It's just growing. The numbers are insane. So, and India has opened up. I mean, unlike other countries, you just couldn't keep it closed for too long. So they've opened up. They're almost resigned to their fate. So to have something like the IPL on TV uh, has just been a great boost. Because I know even the casual fans, like people in my family who are uh, the older members of the family who generally wouldn't watch too much cricket are really into it. I mean, they're talking about Mayank Agarwal scoring hundreds and uh, my mother the other day wanted to know something about uh, Varun Chakravarti, who's like, you know, who's a Tamil guy as well, who's been picked for the Indian squad, which we'll come to. So, yeah, I mean, it, it seriously is uh, putting a lot of smiles on faces back home and the TRPs are showing that. And... Uh... As a more general question, it seems from afar that uh, the, the IPL has just completely supplanted all other forms of cricket in India's affection. Is there still um, strong interest in the upcoming Australian tour or is it um, uh, has the IPL just blown everything away? No, 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 no. I mean, see, I think this IPL season ball, is, uh, the, the guys playing as well have an advantage because it's the first time ever that the IPL is happening at a time and there's no other cricket anywhere. Because mm. when it happens in April and May, yes, I mean, all of India is watching the IPL. But the English season's just about to start. There's county cricket. There could be a couple of international tours here or there. But this time, there is nothing else. Just that. So, I mean, yes, there is the Pakistan T20 tournament going on uh, locally. But, like, you know, it's not televised everywhere. So, it's a great advantage for those guys. But when you talk about India's interest in cricket, like, that's that's the difference. Though they love the IPL, they also watch a lot of Indian cricket. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's India, Australia and Test cricket, it's a series that uh, the team has been looking forward to for a long, long time. And so have most cricket fans. It It, it is... You know, there's always talk of India-Pakistan being the biggest rivalry. Mm. But in the last 15 years or so, it's been supplanted. I mean, it's been left far behind by the India. Well, it doesn't help that you don't play each other. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. They don't play each other, but they haven't played each other in bilaterals for so long that this generation uh, don't know what India-Pakistan is like. And to be honest, Menas, because... uh, when I was growing up in the 90s, at least you got to see the, like, there was every other year there was a Sharjah tournament mm. where you would see the Indians and Pakistanis. Uh, like, so there was so much talk about it. Now, because it's just like you said, just in an odd ICC tournament here or there, and because India seemed to be beating Pakistan a lot on these ICC tournaments, it's not much of a rivalry. It's just like, Something people want to talk up. And I'll tell you, from my personal experience, the worst game to hype up the preview for a India-Pakistan match because you know it's not, there is no hype, but you have to hype it up just for the readers back home. Mm. Now, I, I said at the top that you wrote a book, The Dhoni Touch. Can you get in touch with Dhoni and tell him <laughs> he's playing on one year too long? He looks to me 
that he really cannot keep pace now with the IPL. And the fact that he's, I think he's even talked about how the Chennai team will come together next year. I just cannot see him being able to play at this level any longer. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I cannot get in touch with uh, Dhoni Menas. Nobody can. At times, even his wife struggles to get in touch with him. (laughs) (laughs) As you know, he is not accessible at all. But yes, I mean, I think with a lot of Indian cricketers, especially in this era, there comes a point where, in a way, they themselves aren't in control of their, their careers or like when it ends. Because... There are so many brand endorsements and like, you know, yes, with your international career, at least you have some control over it. But when it comes to the IPL, like if left to Srinivasan, Dhoni will be just keeping wickets for Chennai Super Kings till he turns 50. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's beyond, it is a business, it's, it's almost like a business appointment in many ways. Yes, I mean, he's a great cricketer, one of India's greatest ever and you never rule him out or so people have been saying for a long time. But especially the fact that they have not made the playoffs, it's the Chennai Super Kings for the first time ever. And that team just like, yesterday I saw a post about how old Sam Curran was when <laughs> each of these guys was were making their <laughs> national debuts. It's quite ridiculous. So, um, I think he will play one more season because people are still hoping that next year's IPL will be held in India, which is again up in the air. It might be again in the UAE. And if it is, don't be surprised if Dhoni just walks away. This is my prediction. But if it is in India, I think he will play that final uh, IPL in front of his home fans, in front of uh, like the Chennai audience, and then just walk away. I was just going to ask you about Shubman Gill. Um, he's kind of slipped under my guard. I didn't realise he has a first-class average of 73. Uh, is he as good as that? And why hasn't he been playing for Test Cricket for India already? No, I think he was tipped to play Test Cricket, and he is that good. Uh, I mean, one of he's one of those batsmen all like, he's just so pretty on the eye. I mean... Prithvi Shaw is always hyped up and Prithvi Shaw is good to watch, but he's more in the Sevag mode, wherein like he's just come and score 40 in 20 balls mm-hmm. on the first day of a test match. But Shubman Gill is just all class, just the way he goes about his cricket, just the way he is. I remember interviewing him when he was just under 19, uh, before they went for the World Cup. He's got that really gentle class about him. So, and yeah, I mean, he's not the only one who... Starts off with a first-class average like that. Whether Rohit Sharma is still averages somewhere in the 60s. Ajinkya Rahane used to average in the 60s. Pujara, the same. Uh, and the only reason he's not broken in is because of Mayank Agarwal, who's like been the revelation of Indian cricket in the last couple of years. Uh, you guys would remember he randomly made that test debut on Boxing Day yep. uh, two years ago. Um, and then he's gone on to what? Make double hundreds in test cricket. Now he's scoring hundreds in the IPL. Uh, he... Is literally an outsider. People had written him off. For him to come back and do what he's done is quite remarkable. He's almost like you can compare him to Matthew Wade in a way, though he's younger in years. When people wrote him off, he went to first class cricket and just scored so many runs that you just couldn't ignore him. And Menas would love that comparison, I'm sure. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, that's really the reason Shubman Gill's been tapped out. They have tried him out in one day cricket here and there, but he's not got a long run. But he will get a long run. Um, it Gill and Shaw, I see as like India's future opening partnership and like, you know, they'll do it for years to come. Right. Last one from me. Just back to the Australia-India relationship. I look at 2001 and it seemed like a series for, it was a series for the ages. Great crowds, great spirit, great test matches. Then you looked at 2008, there was the interest there and there was uh, the great Mm -hmm. cricket, but it was so acrimonious and 
uh, hostile, uh, you know, I can sort of look at two arms of the relationship, whether it's a great healthy sporting rivalry or whether it's gone too far into both sides and the fans of both sides focusing too much on the negative. How, how do you regard it in terms of its overall health and the affection that the two sets of fans have for each other? Uh, I think it's changed a lot since 2008 purely because of the IPL. I think um, the IPL has, uh, you know, kind of eroded into that just on-field spite that used to exist between the teams. Yes, I mean, that 2017 Australia Tour of India was very spiteful. There were a lot of lot of things happening on and off the field. But just generally, the vibe between these guys... I mean, if there was no IPL, Virat Kohli and David Warner, you would have predicted them coming to blows on the field at some... <laughs> or Virat Kohli and Brad Haddon in particular in 2014-15. So I think um, uh, it, it has eroded to an extent. Uh, and the Indians love coming to Australia and playing. They love Actually, they love the crowds. Like Virat really rides... Uh, uh, you know, rides on the crowd's energy. So they do love coming here. Uh, they get the freedom to move around as well. I don't know how much they will get uh, freedom this time around. But I think the rivalry, you will see some sort of like, you know, Tim Payne's very smart at bringing out the, <laughs> I wouldn't say the worst in people, but he has, he know, he knows the right buttons to hit, which I think is full credit to him. So there will be some of it when when they face each other. Uh, for sure, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an India-Australia series if there isn't like at least, there aren't at least a couple of uh, incidents of the line being crossed and then people talking about the line and not knowing where it is. <laughs> uh, but uh, just as uh, from a fan perspective, I think it's, it, like I said earlier, it is the ultimate rivalry for Indians in cricket and nothing like coming to Australia and beating Australia like they did last time around. And there's been a lot of people, there have been a lot of people in India who've written off that win purely because there was no Smith and Warner. Uh, so Ravi Shastri in particular, I know I spent a lot of time with him during the New Zealand tour earlier this year. He is like, you know, just biting, like he can't wait to get here and uh, yeah, win it all over again. And finally, what's your tip for the Test Series? Uh... I think Australia will have to play quite poorly to not win that series. I, I say that for a few reasons. A, because they'll be in in a like you know they've not been in a hub or a uh, lockdown for as long as the Indians are because it's not just the IPL. If you look at Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma, who's not been picked at, in any of the squads as of now. Uh, they've been in a state of lockdown since April, so you just wouldn't expect them to be a hundred percent. Yeah. When comes to the cricket. It, it is a lot to take like mentally and physically. So uh, that's one reason. But I just think Australia with the bowling attack they have now, it was the same that they had even two years ago. But just how well conditioned and how well they perform as a unit now. And just with Smith, Warner and for me, Manas is the big X factor there. Yeah. Uh, and Matty Wade, of course. <laughs> and Matthew Wade, of course, then coming. See, Matthew Wade will be interesting because he uh, is... I like in the most disliked Australian cricketer in the last ten years in India, uh, and and not just because of uh, uh, like you know uh, the 2017 tour, but just generally like because he is the most in your face uh, Australian <laughs> in this era. So, uh, but of course it's it's a Matthew Wade, it's a different Matthew Wade you get to see th- these days. I think it's it's just too complete an Australian team, especially for these conditions, not to beat an Indian team who. Yeah, I mean, who come here full strength and all that. But, yeah, I don't think they would be in the right space to win again. No, so the excuses are starting already from the <laughs> yes, of Indian course, supporters. Yeah, yeah. 
Them the lockdown. <laughs> well, Barrett, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast today. It's been great to talk to you. You're one of the most interesting people uh, who reports on cricket. Now, you're on Twitter at BeastieBoy07. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, and despite never having heard a Beastie Boys song, by the way, I, that's just a nickname I was given many years ago. I've stuck with it. <laughs> Great one. Well, thanks for joining us and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, mate. Uh, cheers, man. Cheers, Paul. Great stuff there from Barrett Sundarosen from Quick Buzz. We'll be back after the break with Can't Let It Go. All right, we're almost coming to the end of this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. We've had it all. Now we're going to finish it with Can't Let It Go. Paul, what is your Can't Let It Go? Well, Australian audiences would be very familiar with Isha Gua from her work in the last couple of years here. She's been a fixture on broadcasting in England for for several years before that, and before that was uh, uh, a very accomplished England representative. But there's been some comment in the week from uh, Jeff Boycott, Sir Jeff Boycott, who um, has come to an end with his contract with BBC Test Match Special as of at the end of last English summer. And he's made the point that, uh, the remark, that he feels that they have favoured equality over quality in dispensing with him. And the uh, implication being that, um, you know, that they've chosen Ishigua over him and he's sort of saying for equality rather than uh, quality. And I just can't let this go because of the the insanity of this statement from Jeff Boycott um, on three levels. Uh, and I just find it just so neat that this is um, this is the case. That Number one, she has been with the BBC for 10 years, so she's not new anyway. Number two, she is a ball-by-ball commentator. Jeff Boycott is uh, sort of what they call expert on the radio who doesn't do ball-by-ball. And those two sets of commentators almost never uh, cross paths. So... Um, there's sort of no correlation there. And thirdly, the person that Jeff Boycott has been replaced by is Alistair Cook. And so as people have been saying, you know, the Daily Mail and others have gone, oh, this is political correctness gone mad. And we have one stodgy white opening batsman from England who is a knight being replaced by one other stodgy white opening batsman from England who's a knight. And everyone's saying the world's gone mad. And I just, I just can't let that go. Yeah, I couldn't let that go either. I actually wanted to talk about that on today's podcast. I'm glad you brought it up. Another reason to just ignore most of what Boycott says. Now, my can't let it go. Now, I tweeted out on the weekend that I had some big personal news and I got a lot of responses so I can dispel some rumours. I'm not pregnant, as one person suggested. I have not discovered I was born in England, but <laughs> I can tell you all, for a long time I've known I have a lot of English heritage from Somerset. I'm also married to an English woman, so there's a bit more English about me than I let on. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been hired by SEN to commentate on the cricket or host my own weekly show, as was suggested by some people. Uh, even people were congratulating me without knowing what I was about to say, but this is a lot more personal, and I would say a thousand times more important. I have two wonderful children who have never shown any interest in cricket at all. In fact, I've suggested to my son on occasions that I would set up a team and coach it and he could play in the team, to which the the sort of look he's given me of derision, of incredulity, of horror that he would even consider playing cricket 
has has stayed with me for a long time. So, you know, even at points, if I'm walking near a park, park and I see kids playing with their parents, I'll, I'll just sort of think longingly about what it would be like to play cricket with your child. And I've, I, I'd actually given the dream, dream away, Paul. But <laughs> last week, last week, I was at home. My son came up to me and he said, can you teach me how to bowl? I'll repeat that. He said, can you teach me how to bowl? Now, I almost fell off my chair. But then at the other stage, I was like, I've got to play this cool. Well, he wasn't talking about 10-pin bowling, was he? No, or lawn he was bowling. talking about cricket bowling. If, if I'd been too excited, I was worried that I was going to scare him off. So <laughs> I, I played it cool. I, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll take you out the back and teach you how to keep your arms straight and bowl. But he's now got a, a mild interest in cricket, Paul. My son finally is drawn towards the greatest game on earth. And uh, it's, it, it kind of changed my life. Oh, that's really heartening, Menace. I'm really, that, that's, that is ex- genuinely excellent. Uh, I trust you're going to teach him to be an off-spin bowler because that's the, they're the ones that get favoured most, the, 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 you know, the, the stupid selectors. in. You can tell I wasn't a spinner and I regret that I wasn't. You know, someone who bowls a bit of rubbish off-spin, ooh, we better get a spinner in the side. That's, um, that's the path to get him to get him into the Australian team, a bit of off-spin so he can get along, get a, a test cap along with some other rubbish off-spinners. Not that he'll be rubbish. Well, would it surprise you to know that he's not the tallest child? No, and no, therefore, no. I don't think he's going to be a tall, lanky, fast bowler. <laughs> I've actually got him earmarked as a, a number three player in the ilk of Bradman or Ponting. Uh, I'm not setting good. too many yeah. expectations for him, but he's got the diminutive build of one of those great players. Oh, well, for sure. I mean, and, and Bradman famously, his cover drive wasn't quite his greatest shot. So if you can work on that early on, you might be able to, you know, eclipse him. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another show. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.